Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hello, hello. Y'all, we have made it. Today is the final episode in our Bay Curious Prop Fest series. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Here we go. Cash bail has long been criticized for allowing rich suspects to walk free while keeping low-income suspects behind bars. Proposition 25 could bring an end to money bail. Here's how it will read on your ballot. Proposition 25 would replace the money bail system with a system based on determination of public safety and flight risk. It also limits detention of a person in jail before trial for most misdemeanors. But is the alternative proposal more equitable? On this final day of Bay Curious Prop Fest, we take a look at Proposition 25, replacing cash bail. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Political correspondent Marisa Lagos is covering Prop 25 for KQED, and she's also the co-host of the podcast Political Breakdown. Welcome, Marisa. Hey, Olivia. First, can you take us through how the cash bail bond system works in California now? Yes. To do this, I am going to make you an accused felon, Olivia Allen Price. All right. So you're walking down the street in San Mateo County. You get arrested on suspicion of possession for sale of a controlled substance. This wouldn't be like you have a little weed in your bag. This would be like maybe you got a bunch of heroin or they think you do. The bail for that is going to be set at $25,000 just by the schedule that exists in San Mateo County. So the officers would arrest you. And either you would have to hand over 25 grand to the county to secure release, or possibly, depending on how big of a drug dealer they think you are, they might make you go before a judge who could either lower or increase that $25,000. Say you don't have 25 grand laying around. I mean, really, who does, right? You would then decide whether you're going to stay in jail until you can get a trial set 
Or you might call a bail bonds agency. And what they would do is essentially guarantee the county that they would pay that 25 grand if you skipped out on your case. So if you didn't come back for your trial dates. In exchange for that, you would have to pay them 10% of that amount. So $2,500. If you had the 25 grand to post your own bail, you would get that money back regardless of whether you got convicted of the crime or the charges got dropped or you um, were found to be innocent. You would just get that money. The money is just there to make sure you show up at trial. However, if you didn't have that kind of cash laying around and you had to go through a bail bond agent, that $2,500 that you gave them to secure your bond, you would forfeit. You would never get that money back. The whole cash bail system has sort of been under fire for a long time for being inequitable. Give us an example of how that inequity plays out. Look, people who have been accused of very violent crimes up to murder can sometimes post bail if they have the means. But a lot of people end up languishing behind bars for really minor crimes because they just don't have the money. Their families don't have the money. And disproportionately, study after study shows these tend to be black and brown people. If you can't pay that bail amount, you can't go to work. Um, You might lose custody of your kid. By losing your work, you might not be able to pay your rent. So what critics of the system say is that it kind of perpetuates the cycle of poverty um, and potentially leads more people into crime or can lead people to plea guilty to things that they did not do or that they might have a good chance of fighting because they essentially just want to get out of jail and get back to their lives. And we should add that this isn't an insignificant number of people, right? Two-thirds of people in California jails are people who haven't gone to trial yet and have only been accused of a crime. So, Marisa, how would Prop 25 change things? If Prop 25 passes, it will make California the first state in the nation to completely eliminate bail and creates a whole new system. Walk us through how this made it onto our ballot. So let's go back in time. Two years ago, the legislature passes Senate Bill 10, and it's signed by Governor Jerry Brown. Virtually immediately, uh, the bail bond industry went to the Secretary of State and filed what's called a referendum. A referendum is a special type of ballot measure which sole purpose is to overturn a law that the legislature has enacted. And what did SB 10 say? SB 10 essentially said that commercial bail would be illegal in California. You could no longer pay a bail bondsman or woman for your freedom. Instead, most people accused of very low-level misdemeanors would just automatically get released. No questions asked. Here's your court date. People accused of very violent felonies would almost never get out pretrial. People kind of in the middle would have an opportunity for the courts to do what's called a risk assessment. So essentially an algorithm where they put in a bunch of information, where you live, who you are, what your criminal history is, are you employed? Um, And it spits out its best guess based on a lot of data as to whether you're a risk to public safety and whether you're likely to come back to court. And perhaps most importantly, If there are maybe conditions we could put on your release that would ensure that you would come back and not pose a threat. So that might be that you have to check in with a probation officer. It might be that you have to be drug tested. Um, But essentially, alternatives to this idea that money is the best way to ensure that somebody comes back. And within that system, judges would have a lot of discretion to decide both whether someone should be released at all and if they are, what conditions they need to abide by. 
What do we know about the risk assessment system that would be put in place? These are built by people, and there's a lot of existing inequities within our system. And so I think the concerns that have been raised about them is that if you're relying on an algorithm that already assumes that maybe, I mean, this is a really like like blunt example, but that assumes like if you're a black man, you're more likely to be a criminal because historically we have over-arrested black men, then that's not fair either. And so there are some questions from a civil liberties perspective about the way these algorithms are being developed and if they are perpetuating the existing disparities within our system. And then on top of that, you know, judges are humans and they have their own subjective approaches and beliefs. Um, they're all there to try to be very fair. But we, again, know from our existing system that a white person and a black person are not always treated the same, even if they're accused of the exact same crime. I think that's a perfect segue to get us into talking a little bit more about the arguments sort of for and against Prop 25. So let's start with who is supporting this prop and kind of what they're arguing. Broadly, what you see is really the Democratic establishment pushing this in California, and they're supported by certainly not everyone in law enforcement. There are a lot of law enforcement groups on the other side, but groups who have had experience with this, like the probation chiefs, are also in support. And what are their arguments broadly? So they're basically saying that public safety should guide these decisions, not money, not race, not sort of the neighborhood you came from. Um, they're saying that this is going to make the process fairer for all people and that it'll actually end up saving taxpayers money because after you get past the kind of initial cost of building up this pretrial system, you may end up with far less people awaiting trial in jail. And those are people that we're all paying to feed and house and potentially to support in other ways. I think that they are really trying to drill down on the issue that the bail industry are the ones that spent the money to get this on the ballot and that are really funding this campaign, um, that this is a commercial entity that isn't interested in public safety or anything else, but rather in protecting their own bottom line. There are some interesting groups standing in opposition to this one. Who are they and what are their arguments? The biggest sort of coalition against this are the bail bonds uh, businesses that are going to lose their business if it passes. They're the ones that paid to get it on the ballot. They are largely the ones that have funded no on Prop 25. They do have support, though, from the California Republican Party, from a handful of elected officials, most of them Republican, and certainly from some law enforcement groups who are worried about this. They're trying to make this a sort of question not about whether money bail is fair, but whether it denies a constitutional right if you take away the option of money bail, um, that it could actually create additional biases against minorities and the poor by giving these judges so much power. And they're also basically making the argument that it puts public safety at risk. Say though that there are some um, progressive groups, especially in LA, who have raised concerns about this. The ACLU is not advocating for a no vote, but did not support Senate Bill 10 when it passed um, because they were concerned about this question of racial disparity and judicial discretion. Some folks on the left really feel like this could potentially lead to more people being locked up um, behind bars before their trials because it does give judges you know, so much power. And I think that 
judges have their own biases. And uh, these risk assessment tools were built by data that included a lot of disparities, especially racially. How well funded are these campaigns for and against 25? So on the no side, and to, to reiterate, this is the side that wants to overturn Senate Bill 10, so that would keep cash bail. It is almost entirely being funded by insurance companies and individual bail bondsmen and women who have really are paying to try to overturn this law. Um, on the other side, I would say it is kind of a who's who of Democratic activists and groups, including um, some of the big public employee unions like SEIU, uh, some of the big criminal justice groups, and individual donations from activists who have been pushing these reforms. And we've also seen some money come in from the Democratic Party itself. Marisa Lagos is KQED's politics correspondent and the co-host of the Political Breakdown podcast. Thanks, Marisa. Thank you. To recap, a yes vote on Prop 25 says you want to replace cash bail with risk assessments, as outlined in Senate Bill 10. A vote no means you'd rather keep cash bail practices in place and repeal Senate Bill 10. That's a wrap on Bay Curious Prop Fest. It has been a journey going through these 12 statewide propositions together over the past few weeks. Thank you all so much for riding along with us. If PropFest helped you out, please let us know by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen, or send us an email at baycurious at kqed.org. We love to hear from you. We'll get back to our regular programming with a new episode next Thursday. If you're a new listener who's just tuning in for PropFest, be sure to subscribe to Bay Curious so you don't miss a thing. PropFest has been a labor of love from our small team here at KQED. None of it would have been possible without the hard work of producer Katrina Schwartz, who is in the trenches with me making this series every day. Katrina, I am so, so grateful for you. Let's go take a day off. Our sound engineers, Rob Spate and Katie McMurrin, make our episodes sing, despite all the wonky recorded-at-home tape that we throw their way. Thanks also to Jessica Placek, Kiana Mogadam, Erica Aguilar, Bianca Taylor, and Paul Lincor for giving us feedback on every episode. And to the entire KQD staff that helped make what we do possible, thank you. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Now please, go vote with confidence. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.